Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. Arthur Blank joins us on Sports Byline. He's the co-founder of Home Depot and the owner of the NFL's Atlanta Falcons and also MLS's Atlanta United. And as a very successful businessman, he believes for good companies, purpose and profit can go and should go hand in hand. His companies have never lost sight of their commitment to care for their people and also communities. He shares that vision and also a roadmap for values-based business, including in sports as well, in his book, Good Company. Arthur, we'll talk about your sports business a little bit later on, but let me first ask you, how did you develop your business philosophy and what experiences you had growing up in Queens, New York, that helped you develop that philosophy? Well, you know, it really uh, is, is interesting, Ron, because both my partner and I, my partner at Home Depot, Bernie Marcus, um, we both came from backgrounds that were really very modest. Both of our, both sets of parents came from Eastern European countries. Uh, both came to the United States with very little or close to nothing. Uh, when I grew up, I lived in a single-bedroom apartment with um, mom, dad. I lost my dad when I was only 15. He was 44, and my brother. So the four of us shared one bedroom um, we shared a, a single bathroom, and that, and that was it. So I think, you know, part of what uh, I groomed my thinking um, and helped produce it was my early life experiences. Um, and that was, you know, with a mother who was uh, very, always very committed to principle, always very committed to social action, always committed to uh, being in the middle of wherever the frame may be. Uh, she may not have been able to do it financially, but she could do it with her time or energy in her brain. And she always did that. Um, so I think that was a, a lot of it. And then, you know, my life experiences, just uh, traveling through, uh, through the journey of life and who I've worked with, who I've spent time with, who I've admired, who I've learned from, the businesses that I've learned from, the leaders of those businesses I've learned from, um, and understanding. We didn't write down our core values at Home Depot, which uh, the same six core values are the same for HD. And have been there until, you know, probably we were in business probably 10 or 12 years. Uh, and finally, finally, one day I was in a meeting with um, with my partner, Bernie, and I said, you know, we're opening up 200 stores a year, uh, one of these 140,000 square foot stores every day and a half. 
And so we're never going to be able to touch all of these stores. So um, it was just important at that point that we, you know, reduce our core culture to writing, et cetera. And I think the important thing I would say for, you know, all of the listeners is that, you know, every company has its own unique culture. Uh, we did it at Home Depot, and, and uh, one of the key questions that came early on in, in September, actually, of 81, when we first went public, with only four stores, now 2,200, when I left the company, 1,300, now 450,000 associates, I had 250 when I left the company, um, was that how do we ensure that we maintain this core culture as we go forward? And uh, the conclusion we came to is that we had a first, uh, the first step in terms of promoting anybody to a leadership position was that do they understand the culture? Uh, not, not could they articulate it, because that became secondary. Do they understand it? Do they live it? Are they ambassadors for it? Uh, are people leading by example? Are they learning by example? So uh, all of those things are things that built our company. In fact, when McKinsey wrote their book on the war on talent, um, their senior partner, who was based in Chicago in HR, came to see me last. There were seven or eight companies included in the book, and he said to us, you know, we talked to 200 of your associates all over the United States and Canada, everybody from a lot engineer to a cashier to assistant managers, store managers, division presidents, whatever it may be, they all understood your culture. They all said the same thing about your values. They all expressed them. Um, and so, you know, that kind of consistency, not only of understanding but of living them, I think is really what separated us. And the beauty of this book and the reason we wrote the book and the reason we, it's important, in my opinion, for, you know, for our readers to, uh, you know, to listen to and to, and to try to learn from is that we then took these same core values and we applied them to a football team, the Atlanta Falcons, we applied them to a soccer team, Atlanta United, we applied them to the PGA Tour Superstores, which is the largest golf specialty store today in the country. We applied them to two guest ranches in the United States that are rated number one you know, in, in the country for that experience, and then we applied them to our foundation. So all these different environments, different industries, different geographies, but it's all service, fans, guests, and customers. It's all about doing it with associates that understand our core philosophies and our core culture. And it's about doing it in a way that we're showing caringness and kindness towards the neighborhoods and the communities that we live in. Arthur, I have a friend of mine uh, who used to own a team in the National Football League, and he served with you on a couple of NFL uh, committees. And he said to me, I always came away with the belief that Arthur always wanted to do it the right way. Was he right about that? Yes, he was. I think, you know, it was interesting. My mother you know, had this expression that I would hear her say uh, pretty regularly is that, you know, you do the right things for the right reasons and live with the consequences. And um, and I think that, you know, that's you know that's part of those core values is that, you know, doing the right things for the right reasons and you live with the consequences. So I can give you, well, what, what does that mean, a listener might say. Well, I'll give you an example. This summer we, uh, we had to make a decision about our, our, our two ranches in Montana. One had been open for 100 years, had never closed in 100 years. One was open about four years. And uh, so we made a decision to close them both. Not because, I mean, our associates, you know, we knew 70% of our associates were coming from out of state. We knew that close to 100% of our guests were coming from out of state. Um, but yet, you know, based on CDC protocols, public health officials, local public health officials, they all said, came to see our operation, they all said, you've done everything here you know how to do. But having said that, because of the number of people coming from out of state, you will bring disease to Paradise Valley, Montana, where these ranches are located and it will affect the neighboring communities. 
Um, so when I heard that, I mean, it's it wasn't a hard decision. The decision was we should not open up. These communities are our neighbors. We've been heavily involved in these communities for a number of years from a philanthropic standpoint, from a social standpoint, from a whole variety of, 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 of engagements. And um, we wanted to be, you know, a caretaker for a, care, a caregiver for our neighbors as well. So we decided it's a sad decision, but an easy one. We would keep the ranches closed this summer. So um, a couple of, about a month ago, I had uh, happened to have lunch with the governor, and uh, and I didn't hadn't met him before, didn't know him, and he, I didn't know what he knew about our business or not. But uh, he said, you know, I heard about your decision that you made to keep these two ranches closed, and I want to thank you on behalf of the state of Montana. He said, because we only have a million people here, but we get, you know, close to 11 million guests come every summer because of Yellowstone and other things as well. And he said, you did whatever you could do to keep disease away from this state. And I really appreciate that. I want to thank you on behalf of the citizens. So that's what, you know, that's all part of your core values. Um, it's not hard decisions to make. It doesn't mean they're always happy. It doesn't mean they're always easy. But you make them because you have these values which drive your behavior. And um, so that's what we pay attention to. Can the values and culture that made Home Depot so great, can that be replicated in all businesses, even sports? And I ask that question, Arthur, because each one has a different personality. Um, my answer, Ron, is that, you know, I think that we are proof conclusive that the answer to that would be yes. We are very successful financially in the NFL. We're very successful with Major League Soccer. We, uh, we are in the first three years of existence. This is our fourth year in playing. We have broken every attendance record in the history of Major League Soccer, which goes back 25 years now, and that's per game, per season, playoffs, whatever it may be. We filled up the entire stadium. We've more than doubled, more than doubled the average attendance per game that even the top teams have had in the league. And, and we have a return rate at our guest ranch of, of 96% with zero marketing, 96% of the people come back every year, year after year after year. Uh, so, And we have our PGA Tour Superstores, which I told Commissioner uh, Commissioner Monaghan, they're a partner of ours. I mean, obviously, their brand is on the building. We operate the buildings. They're our, our, it's our business. But, um, you know, I was telling you about incredible comp sales we've had since we've reopened after 54 days of being closed. And, you know, he was running around the golf course looking for people to talk to, tell them about this incredible retail business and that they're, that they're a part owner in it. And so... The answer is, you know, proof conclusive that all of these existing businesses, they've all taken these same core values or followed these same core, core values and are producing the same kind of results financially and otherwise. And the otherwise is really important because it's the human relationships between the fans and the customers and the guests we have. It's between our associates who service those people and, and the communities that in which we, uh, in which we live. We only have 45 seconds before we have to break, but I'm just wondering, over your fine business career, were there any failures that you learned more from than you might have from successes? Yeah, I think when we were running HD, um, we acquired a group of nine stores from a company called Bullwater. They, they had stores in Dallas, they had stores in Mobile and Baton Rouge and Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, and uh, what we tried to do with those stores is that we uh, we, we tried to... Um, to rebrand them and keep them open uh, while we were changing out the merchandising and retraining all the associates. I found out that even a car going as slow as 10 miles an hour, it's pretty hard to change the tires on it unless you stop it completely. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've, I've looked back and said, you know, what we should have done it. What we did do then is that eventually we closed the stores 
for 60 days, you know, did our re-merchandising, did our retraining, et cetera, reopened. And then those stores started to produce sales volumes that, uh, that were typical of our volumes in our stores. So uh, I think, you know, that, that was a mistake. You, you learn from these things. And we all make mistakes throughout life. It's not important if you make them or don't make them because you are going to make them. It's a question of whether you learn from them and you, and you hope, you know, God willing, you don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Arthur Blank is with us. We're talking about his book. It's called Good Company. It's a selection of the month on the Sports Byline Book Corner. We'll talk some sports with Arthur as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Arthur Blank is with us here on Sports Byline USA. I urge you to check out his book called Good Company. And he says, when good companies put the well-being of their customers, their associates, and their communities first, financial success will follow. And he also says, if you don't care about people, profit, and the planet at the same time, profitability by itself isn't really enough. Before you bought the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur, back in early 2002, what were your thoughts and analysis of the business of sports? Well, to be, be, be honest, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about the business of sports. I knew that the NFL um, had this incredible reputation as the best professionally run sports league in the world. What that meant financially, I really didn't know. I had no access. As you, as you know and your listeners know, that all these uh, sports teams are owned privately. So there was no really way to get the information. What I decided was interesting is that I had been a season ticket holder, and the Falcons up to that point, up to, up to 2002, had never had back-to-back winning seasons. I didn't know that at the time, but you know, I, I was able to, to to acquire the team. Rankin Smith, before he passed away, had told his kids, "Well, we're not going to sell the team, but if he ever did, this guy would be a perfect owner." So after he did pass, you know, the siblings all decided they would they would sell the team. So I had been in the stands like everybody else, and uh, win the season, losing season, winning season, losing season for 36 years. 
And so when I bought the team, I went to closing. Commissioner Tagabu said to me, you know, you just bought a franchise that never said back-to-back winning seasons. And I hadn't really checked that. And I said, well, Paul, that can't be correct. And Paul, if you knew him, Ron, was not because he said it, but he really was the smartest guy in the room. And, and you know, just a, a brilliant commissioner, as is Roger Goodell, but different, but both brilliant in their own ways. But in any event, so we uh, we acquired the team. We, we, we looked at, obviously, the economics doing our due, due, due diligence and um, felt it was going to be a really good investment, and it's turned out to be a superb investment. So uh, I'm happy about it from a financial standpoint. But, you know, I never, honestly, I've never focused on the financial results. I mean, I, I've always focused on, and that's a big part of this book, a big part of the emphasis, do the right things. Take care of your fans correctly. Take care of your associates correctly. Treat players like they're all free agents so they feel that they're cared for all the time, not just as a player, but not as a commodity, but as a human being. We care about them. We care about their families. We care about their philanthropy. We care about what they want to do when they're done playing football. Not all of them play for 10, 12 years. Most, as you know, do not. And care about the communities in which you're operating and which you're living and, and, uh, and understand that we are, we are all neighbors and we're in this together. So, you know, those are things that um, make everybody feel good about what they're doing every day as well and uh, give you real purpose to, uh, to our work. And um, purpose today is something that our young people are constantly pushing for and striving for. They want to see more of that. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, I've told some others, and I'll repeat it again, is that, you know, Yale University is a good example where, uh, Dr. Lori Santos, who is uh, one of the uh, senior p- professors there of psychology, she began a small course, 30, 40 kids who said, well, we're not happy, you know, we don't feel fulfilled, we're at this great university, 205 years old, et cetera. Well, she continues to teach that course on a, on a voluntary basis, and a quarter of the student body every year at Yale University signs up for that course. So these are the, some of the best and brightest minds in the United States today, or internationally for that matter, a lot of international students. And they all, they all want to know, what's life about? There has to be more purpose to it. It has to be more than just making a great living. And so I think that's great. That bodes well for our country and bodes well for uh, uh, you know, dealing with these big issues, these big societal issues that we're facing with now. So um, I'm happy to see that, and a lot of these values we talk about in this book Connect the dots. Connect the dots so somebody feels like, you know, my life has purpose, not just financially, which it needs to have. I understand it for their circle of love, their family of love, et cetera. But beyond that, how do I serve others? How do I serve humanity? And that's uh, and that becomes a very real question. They want to understand, you know, uh, not just, you know, why am I here? And, you know, what is life? You know, what, why am I here? How do I take advantage of life, et cetera? But life responds to them and says, you know, I've given you a blessing. You are here. You have a responsibility now to make a difference in your own way, whatever way that may be, in improving the lot of all of us that uh, that live on this planet Earth. Let me get a brief answer from you. I've always uh, found that the dynamics of sports team ownership very different uh, from traditional business ownership. One yeah. example, paying an athlete multi-millions of dollars in advance based on potential right. productivity, and that really goes against the general norms of business. How does one get their head around that? Well, I think, you know, in the, in the case of the NFL, uh, if you weigh in the bonuses and things of that nature, guaranteed bonuses, it's about half of the compensation is, is guaranteed. Uh, other sports, it's, it's, um, it's more than that. It's close to 100%, like in baseball, et cetera, basketball. So um, I think in our sport, there's just the dynamic of it. The players are at risk, physical risk, mental risk. 
And so, um, you know, I understand their viewpoint. Uh, they've performed at high levels. It's never that way with a first contract. It's always based on a kind of prescribed formula. The second contract, we be going on to the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth year, depending on what the hell length the first contract is. Um, you know, players get paid, you know, based on their uh, based on their future productivity, what you think it'll be. So it's a little bit, you know, investing in the future, but you have a track record to go on. Um, sadly, on occasion, you'll find that money will change somebody, not in a positive way, but in a negative way, and you try to select players through the draft or free agency that you feel like you understand. You understand that regardless of what they're being paid, they're going to perform at a very high level and going to function at a very high level. And we've been pretty lucky with that, although, uh, you know, occasionally we all make mistakes in that regard. Yeah, in your book, you also talk very candidly about your relationship with Michael Vick. Uh, You formed an unexpectedly close relationship, and you said, for me, put people first means treating people as people. If I can't get to know our players, learn about their passions, their histories, their families, and their hopes, and help them in any way that I can, there wouldn't be a reason for me to own a team. You mentored Vic on such diverse roles as being a father and starting a foundation, right. and you believed uh, he had a re- you had a special relationship with him. Did you feel betrayed to some degree when you found out that he indeed was involved with with the problems that he had? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Commissioner Goodell felt that way. I certainly felt that way. I had a relationship with Michael. As I do with you know the majority of our players, getting to know them, their families, their interests, their passions, their philanthropy, interests, their social issues. that We're involved in social issues not only nationally through the Social Action Committee, which I serve on for the league, and as well as our own club, but you know, involved in, in particular players. I mean, when Michael wanted to start his own foundation, he came to visit and we talked about, well, do you want to start this for the right reasons? Are you ready at your age to deal with these issues? Maybe you should deal with it through a community fund. There's a lot of different ways you can be philanthropic without having all the burden of the administrative stress that, that comes with that. So, you know, I, I, the last thing I want to do is treat players like commodities. If I had to do that, if I had to depersonalize it and treat them as commodities, I would not be in this business because that's just not who I am and what I am. I need to know and care about and be able to create, you know, a, a family environment for these players. I don't cross the line, never talking about football, never talking about plays, never talking about whether they're playing or not playing or they like their coaches, head coaches, coordinators, position coaches. That's not, you know, that's not fair game for conversation. What is fair game is that, you know, you give me some advice about some financial planning. Give me some advice about some life planning. Give me some advice about my, my own foundation. Give me some advice about, you know, being involved in some of these things from a societal standpoint. So I'm happy to do that. Um, and, you know, I had I did an interview this morning with uh, um, the uh, you know, good, good Morning Football, which is the morning, you know, the morning show for the NFL. And I had one of the ex-players on there say to me, you know, and I know this is true. He said, the NFL, we've got a couple of thousand players. Everybody's playing on different teams, 32 different teams. But it is a tight fraternity. He said, every player that I ever talked to about the Atlanta Falcons says the same things that they used to say about Eddie DeBartolo. This is an owner that really cares deeply about his players, cares deeply about his coaching staff, cares deeply about his fans, and cares deeply all about the human side of the equation. So, you know, to me that was a you know a great honor that he would say that and express that. But that's what we try to do, and we uh, and we want the players to feel that we really do care about them. We expect them to perform at a high level. They're being paid a lot of money. I get it. I understand it. 
but we also don't want to make them a commodity to make them feel that way. We want to make them feel like they, you know, we do care about them. People will never, I mean, people will forget what you say about them. People will forget about what you do for them. They will never forget about how you make them feel. And uh, we want to make players feel like, you know, they're always a free agent. They're always going to go someplace else. They're never bound by a contract. They just want to be with us because we treat them, you know, as they should be treated. Um, and so we're very proud of having that relationship with them. You and Michael have remained close, and three years ago he formally retired as a Falcon right. in a very small uh, ceremony. I've got to tell you, having been around the game and having friends that have been in ownership in the NFL, I feel for you guys because you put so much into it, and really there's a lot of things that are out of your control that in normal business would not certainly be that way. Let me take you back, and I know, think you know where I'm going. Super Bowl 51, because you said it was an incalculable equation of bad luck and unfortunate choices. I threw out all my Super Bowl 51 gear. It was too painful a reminder. Now, Eddie DeBartolo uh, is very much like you were when he was an owner as well. It was difficult. I watched the highs and lows with him. How does one ever get used to that on a week-to-week basis? <laughs> I don't think, Ross, to answer your question, Eddie would tell you this too. I don't think you ever get used to it. I, I would say this, that the, um, you know, the lows are lower than the highs are high. And, uh, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, over the years, um, whether it be Super Bowl 51 or just, you know, weekly wins and losses as they, as they may come and go, is that, you know, I'm always concerned when I come home, you know, from a game, if, it, if it's, you know, win, obviously room for celebration, and we do that as a family and do that as a community of people who live in Atlanta, et cetera. But come home and we lose a game, I mean, I think about, you know, how do I teach my children how to deal with adversity? How do I teach them to overlook a loss and to, you learn from it and you move on, which is the story of life. We all make mistakes in life. You scratch the skin of any human being, as Dr. King would say, and you're going to find mistakes. You're going to find errors. So, um, you know, we all we all fail in certain ways. And do we learn from those and do we move on from those? Hopefully the answer is yes. And so part of my job is to set a role model for my family, and my family includes all my family of all of my associates and all of our businesses in that way. And I uh, certainly, I certainly try to do that. We only have two and a half minutes left, but when you think back on that particular game, and it was so close, and then it slipped yep. away from you, how long did it take you, Arthur, to get over that, or at least put it into some perspective that you could move on? Well, I, I think number one, it wasn't close, which is really one of the, we were up twenty-eight-three in the third quarter. So that you know that was you know it, it was a game that we really should have won. And I think Coach Quinn would have told you that. Would tell you that today if you asked him, Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think at the time I spent, you talk about this in the book, I spent a lot of time, you know, um, wearing, I mean, you know, understanding my role as a father, not just a father of my family, but a father to our team, our players, our coaches, our associates, et cetera, in the city and our fans. And, um, you know, trying to take a longer view of this. We got there. We competed. We lost a game we should not have lost. We'll be back again. Uh, you know, let's move on and learn from it, et cetera. And I believed all that, and I still believe all that. But having said that, I think once I got out of that, and that took a while to get out of that uh, that mode, um, you know, I really started to feel the kind of the personal pain. Because as you well know, it's not just the best teams, but it's the best teams that they do have to have some luck in terms of injuries and things of that nature as the season wears on, or have to catch teams when they're not as hot as they might be some other time. And play them during those during those period of time so you know i i think there's a degree of luck involved as well but it's very hard to get back 
you know, out of 32 teams that are designed to be, quote, evenly balanced in some form or fashion through the salary cap and, and other ways, it's very hard to get back to Super Bowl. So it doesn't come easily, and uh, we'll, we're going to fight again and be back there and hopefully get a different result. In about 30 seconds, when you think back over your professional career as a businessman and also as a sports owner, is there one moment, Arthur, that's kind of emblazoned in your mind that you'll never forget? Really good question. It could take me 30 seconds to think about that. But I, <laughs> I, I think just, um, you know, the joy of, I'd say for the Falcons, uh, the joy of winning, the joy when we won the M- MLS Cup uh, in Atlanta. We had not won a championship here in, I don't know, close to 20 years in any form or fashion. The Braves were the last one that won a World Series here in 1995, I'm thinking, something like that, um, and hadn't had, you know, a, a championship since then. So to see uh, MLS being launched, see them break all these attendance records in the history of the sport in North America, and then to play at the levels that we did and win the MLS Cup, and, you know, we fill up the stadium with 70,000 uh, fans that represented the United Nations truly in every sense of the word, have them all standing for an hour and a half, and then be able to bring home that cup at the end of the year, I would say that, that definitely was one of my uh, one of my highlights. I have Arthur, a lot of them. I love sports. I have a lot of highlights. But uh, Arthur, I've thoroughly I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I thank you for the time. Please come back and visit with me again so we absolutely. can talk about other interesting things. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it and uh, and best wishes to all your listeners. Thank you so much. Arthur Blank with us. Check out the book Good Company. We continue with more of you and sports byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.